Developers, 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 developers. Developers, 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 developers. Hello, and welcome to the Static Void Podcast. I'm Jess Chadwick. I'm Todd Steiner. And I'm Chris Gomez. And we are your hosts. Uh, we're recording this on the evening of April 5th, 2016, a few days after Microsoft's 2016 Build event, where they made a bunch of announcements build. about uh, a handful of build. things. Build. <laughs> and build. we're just going to spend this episode, I guess we're going to goof around. You're not even letting me get through the intro, we're just going to goof <laughs> around. And we're just going to chat about what, what, what we thought about everything, everything that we saw and, and what we thought about it. So, uh, Todd, do you want to kick us off? What, what was your top thing? in this event what what did you think all about the cloud man yeah i've been i've been feeling it for a decade mm-hmm. it's finally here i can look at clouds and see the whole world at my doorstep <laughs> no no my, my 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 impression was a, a couple different things one is that there's a lot of cool and interesting things going on but on the flip side it's not sure how much of that is relevant to my day-to-day work <laughs> yeah yep but I think as, as, as a whole, there's a bunch of good stuff, right? If you, if you always think of build as more of... Build isn't necessarily always about today. I kind of equate build like PDC. It's about the year or two down the line. So I think there's a lot of cool, interesting things. I think that it was nice that they went right to the thing, when, uh, got to the point with Xamarin, like, hey, it's just going to be part of MSDN. We're yeah. not going to try to milk yeah. the developers. That was pretty yeah. awesome. The develop, I mean, the announcement of the conference, no question. It got the... It got by far the largest ovation I've seen in a long time. I've always felt that it's, as a Microsoft developer, one of the things they get right more than anything else is they make things accessible, or they make things integrate very well together. So the fact that I can can take my C-sharp skills and now actually do things on a HoloLens, it opens something up. Now, may I ever do it? Who knows? But at least the fact I know I can do it. It's, there's no barrier there. I don't need to go learn a whole other framework or a whole bunch of other stuff to do it. Yeah, or, or integrate Windows with Linux. Perhaps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a whole cool factor to that too. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, that was one of the things that they kind of let off with on the. Uh, what was that? The second day or the first day? I forget. Uh, it was first day. The first, first day. day. Yeah. So they let off the show with it. The the bash in in your Windows, little mini Ubuntu in your Windows. Except it doesn't actually interrupt with uh, with the GUI, right? You can't run any GUI applications and everything. It's just command right. line. And so I guess it's specifically targeted to developers, so you can run yeah. Node and everything, quote, natively. I mean, you're still in Windows, but I guess you're in kind of a subset of Windows. So what I understood of the work is they've built sort of a Linux a Linux host or a Linux sort of extension to Windows. They, they partnered with Ubuntu to do it, but right. their, their goal is that instead of having to get like something like Sigwing or some other way of making things work and then dealing with ports and stuff, yeah. now you can actually can run the native stuff. I guess, yeah. but I've been running Sigwin for years, and it really hasn't been a problem. I'm literally, like, I watched the, I watched the announcement, and 20 minutes later, I jumped into my Sigwin shell, and I started screwing around with, with Git and stuff, right? And it's just, but, but it's not painful. Think about it, though. If it's part of Windows, it's an extension, right? Yeah. Sigwin requires me to install other stuff. If, I'm, if you work in a big enterprise, you won't have that necessarily have that. No, 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 no. It. Well, it's, no, so let's not... You're still installing it, right? You're still installing a mini installation of Ubuntu. It's just all integrated. It's still there, right? It still costs something. It's installed with Windows 10. The update will come and it'll be there. But it's there. It's installed. It's you just don't. It's it's a much easier install. Is really the only difference. It's native. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, it's not the only difference. I mean, the only difference in the experience yeah. is what I mean. There's a big technical yeah. difference. Don't get me wrong. When I watched a little bit of the interview with uh, Scott Hanselman and a couple of the folks on the team, what they did say is they, they would bring up Sigwin, and, and this is where I just sort of have to believe them, right? And they would say, well, there's things you can't do with Sigwin or things that don't work very well. So, okay, I, I guess I take your word for it there, right? I do think, though, that one value that I could think of was there's quite a few um, projects out there. Maybe you'll go out to GitHub and you'll grab something and there might be like a build script or like an, a setup script that says like, hey, you've got the code, but in order to really get this working, I got to put things in certain places. And what I see happen is, is the developers who do kind of care about being 100% cross-platform, they'll have a uh, batch file, a Windows batch file, and then they'll have a bash script. Yeah. Right. And there's plenty of projects that are like, screw the Windows batch file. I don't care. Right. So in some respects, I think this is kind of saying like, okay, you're frustrated because you bring a project down and you're being left out. So here's a way to get back in. And and I don't know to your point, Jess, if, if that was already addressed. I don't know. We've got NPM for Windows. We've got Git for Windows. Right, so I can drop into my command line. I can even do PowerShell with the with the um, autocomplete options and everything, and it's a pretty nice environment. So for the past couple years, with those three things, I haven't really been left wanting in terms of development, my development environment. Right. Yeah, so to your point, Chris, like when we're talking about code and pulling code down and being able to run it, especially if we're talking about JavaScript code, NPM code, Node.js code. Uh, I just I haven't been left wanting. I jump into my right, PowerShell sure. command line. I hit npm and I hit grunt. I hit gulp. I hit whatever you know the the TypeScript on the command line through npm, and I just I haven't been left wanting. Yeah, I was you know it was just something I heard them say, and I said okay, and it was kind of that moment I felt like well I I guess I'll have to take your word for it because <laughs> I'm not super versed in you know where Sigwin falls down. I just don't yeah. know. No, I. In the search for getting Linux back, I have installed Sigwin in the past, and it does have a lot of limitations, meaning you go to install something that's really meant to live in Linux, and it just flat out doesn't work for what various reasons. But ultimately, because the, the library that it depends on wasn't ported to Sigwin or whatever, right? And, and often it's kind of out-of-date versions of the libraries because they haven't been ported over or rebuilt or, or whatever. Um, but, I mean, honestly, I mentioned that I just I jumped into Sigwin 20 minutes after the announcement. I had only just installed that a couple weeks back for a pretty specific reason, right? Prior to that, I had gone without, without even Sigwin for a couple years now, probably. So, so I think to be complete, it's, it's the Bash shell on Windows... And the target is for developers who feel locked out of developer tools and and maybe projects. It is not we are going to make Bash this 100% functional in Windows and you can use it to administer your servers thing. Right. Which I actually, that confusion came up very quickly. I had folks asking me right away, right. like, oh, is this... Does this mean I can throw away all my PowerShell and just have like one set of scripts that runs everywhere? Yeah. And I said, well, I, I don't think this in scope here is like, you know, full blown system administration. So that's a pretty important caveat just in case um, that announcement, you know, the headline hits, hits you at work and you say, oh, all right, Bash is going to be in Windows. Well, it's kind of a developer scenario. It, it's a version one, <laughs> right? Sure, sure. And and I, I, I got to look at it as, 
obviously there was some driver right behind them wanting to do this. They probably yeah. ran into something. Or, more than likely, some things they're working on with ASMIC Core and stuff, they decided they didn't want to take a dependency on Sigwin or require it or port something else over. So they got someone else to do the work, right? They got the guys who run Ubuntu to basically partner with them. They got them to do the heavy lifting. So I, I right. look at it more of this is I look at this more as a bigger picture type thing, right? Sure. Microsoft has been slowly moving in this direction that back to its core, right? Because I mean, in the end of the day, Windows NT, Windows 10, they are a, a unique environment. <laughs> We've extracted it away from us for so long, but it, I feel like it's getting back to that core of we want to make it so this is the best development machine in the world. Yeah. Right. If you look at the bigger picture with Xamarin and now the fact that I can get a Android emulator, an iOS emulator, they want to make Windows your development experience. Yeah. They want to make it the best in the world, because if it, it's all about market share, right, or, or or capital. If you're developing on Windows, what are you going to do? You're not just going to build an iOS app or an Android app. You're like, well, I'm already developing on Windows. I might as well build it for Windows too. And so if you kind of think of it from that picture, that high-level picture, it makes some sense. I guess. I mean, everything you just said is incredibly logical. I'm just not buying it. I, I well, I mean, it, again, this is sort of like, I think that in many ways, that announcement, while it's very centralized to developers, it, it's like the developers who want to do that already know about Sigwin, right? Right, exactly. Yep. So what would happen is the next time, when you have Windows 10 Anniversary Edition or whatever the heck they're calling it, if you get a Windows 10 machine, Anniversary Machine, and you need to install Sigwin, you're like, well, maybe I'll try out Bash first, right? You'll try it out and see if it, it solves your problem. And if it doesn't, you'll jump back to Sigwin. So it's... It, I don't think it was meant to be this, like, you, oh, great, greatest thing in the world ever. I think it was just more about, here is another tool to make your life easier. Yeah. Well, and so I, I read an article that was... Uh, they were very eager to point out that it's not Linux... It is very specifically Ubuntu, and right, right. for for most purposes, that that distinction is is really not really relevant. But it, it, Ubuntu is a is a pretty specific uh, you know a version of of Linux or distribution of Linux. So you know you're not necessarily there might be some Red Hat specific tools or or whatever that you, I mean, you won't be it, able to it's run. It's just but. another command shell. That's the best way to look at it. Yeah, it's just yeah. another command shell that happens to be based on Ubuntu Linux. Yeah. Yep. So it's just another tool. Yeah, so I, so I mean, we speaking of what, go, did did you have more? Go ahead. No, I'm okay. <laughs> so speaking of, <laughs> of bashing bash. <laughs> so speaking of kind of cross platform development and everything, Xamarin was another was yeah. another interesting right. was another interesting announcement. I, do right. you, do you either either of you feel strongly about that one? So I feel strongly to a certain degree. This is definitely one of the things that's like this is awesome. If I'm ever going to do build universal apps or if I'm going to need to build native mobile applications. Yeah. Well, and so, so my day to day job, I'm a web guy, right? I'm building web ex environments, web experiences and things. Yeah. So this is something I'm going to use day to day. But I think that from a critical mass point of view, this is huge for enterprise developers. Yeah. Right. Well, if, you, if you think of the, the typical Microsoft developer, the idea that now he can sit in visual studio, fire up Xamarin and he could build something for his work that could potentially run on all these different devices, that is a, that, that's taking something that was a, what a small set of people could do, at least for iOS, would require you to have some level of a Mac machine to do any of this stuff, um, and now be able to build it all in one. Yeah. So what was interesting was, so they talked about an emulator. I didn't get a chance to look at the emulator, but that is new. You didn't have that before. 
Yeah. And I still assume you do need a Mac, because like when you do Cordova today or even Xamarin today, you needed some kind of Mac thing that did the compilation. Um, yep. So most people end up using little Mac minis, and I've worked in those kind of environments before, and they work, but there's a lot of... <sighs> the barrier for entry to building a mobile application on iOS is not a small barrier. Yeah. It's 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 involved. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it's, it, if you're used to the Microsoft world where you hit a button and all of a sudden it's deployed for you, it's, it takes you a few days to get your hand around, like, all right, I need to have these set of certificates that do X and these set of certificates that do Y, and... These are dev, and then when I go to production, I need different certificates, and it's it's not a very well-documented process. Once you get it down, it works. But thinking about it from the normal Microsoft developer experience, there's that barrier. So, yeah. well, so anything I think that opens up that door, I think is a good thing. But it doesn't really help you with that, right, this announcement? So, well, to be clear, well, the announcement is that now Microsoft bought Xamarin, right? I mean, that's, that's the yes. big yeah. thing, and it's shipping for free in Visual Studio. So, well, no, right. it's, it's, it's free with MSDN. It's free. Right. No, Xamarin it's free Studio for everybody. It's free. Yes. No, it's free for everybody. Yeah, it's free for well, everybody. Then when they were talking about community, community edition, there was something that's going to be working community. Community so edition, yeah. With, with Xamarin today, okay, there was a community edition. Yeah. There, there were different pieces. There mm -hmm. was a community edition, which I think gave you Android and iOS, like the bare bones stuff. Then there was sort of a professional one that would give you what they call Xamarin Forms, which is sort of their cross platform XAML framework. Mm -hmm. Then there was a third level, I think, that gave you like the cloud experience to do all the testing yeah so what's i understand to be free is that still that first layer i didn't get a chance to look around to see if where xamarin forms fits in if it's part of that free stuff yeah but they definitely still called out the cloud thing you have to pay for if you wanted the cloud environment to test everything that's like a yearly well service. sure i mean yeah i mean they've got devices that they're running and it, it yeah. costs money and yeah yeah that's got that's real hard cost as opposed yes. to, to software and it's, it's also very measurable right if yeah. i'm deploying right. to 100 different servers then it's right it's very hard right cpu it goes again it goes uh, along with the microsoft model of cpu cycles that's what they're or saying azure, right i mean yeah. it's it's i can't remember now if it was five years ago they moved handsome into azure yeah when i saw that what i what it told me in my mind is they're betting the company on azure yeah, they're putting a significant investment into this because they're taking one of their top guys, and it even just didn't move him, right? They brought all the ecosystem of him. You Visual mean, Studio came. You with mean him. Guthrie? Ace, yeah, sorry, Guthrie. Guthrie. Yeah, right. Well, Hansman's around there too, so yeah. <laughs> Guthrie, yes, Guthrie, <laughs> and then Hansman's with him. Um, but the red shirt guy, right? They they said here, go build this platform. And remember, I remember you used to do demos with Azure, right? It was, it was okay, but it was falling yeah. apart. Yeah. Now yeah. it is like this. This drag and drop interface, which is to some degrees is right. probably bad in some ways, but the idea again is this is what Microsoft is good at. They're very good at building ecosystems for developers to then build their solutions on top of. I think it's what Scott Guthrie is good at because yes, he understands uh, developers. He understands right. that developers really want to get focused on their problem and not deal with how do I heck do I figure get these hundred things configured? Right. <laughs> he thinks work. about the pain that developers have. I mean. You know, obviously, Silverlight is a sore spot for many a .NET developer, but it came out of his group, and it really made you feel like, hey, I want to jump on this because I can support, you know, different browsers, multiple browsers. And then uh, moving over to Azure, which at the time of him moving over was the worker role, web role world. And I had even complained, like, to him personally, and because he answered a question of mine that I'd written in, where I'd said, like, why why is it that I go build a web project one way, right, uh, an ASP.NET project, but then if I want to go build a web role, it's like 
it's a different thing. And you can see that it wasn't much long after that, that it all sort of became one again, where you just go build your web project, quote unquote, the normal way. And you use something like whether it's Azure web apps or just even published to Azure, it's all just there. And then there's all kinds of, I mean, there's like four different ways to do it, right? You can use command line interface. You can use visual studio, which, eh, you know, I don't think any of us will actually do, or at least not to publish to production. Um, and, and the whole, the whole thing has become like a developer ecosystem, just like you said. And it seems like that's what he's really good at bringing. So I kind of agree back to Xamarin. I kind of look at the same thing. They realized they didn't have a story, right? Yeah. And, and, and they've, they've, at least with from the web side of things, they're making it very clear that they are not Windows first now. They are cloud first. I mean, even mentioned right. mobile first, cloud first. To me, what that says, if you read between the tea, tea leaves, is they realize that there are going to be millions and millions and billions and billions of devices. Some of them will be Windows. Some, a lot of them won't be. So instead of saying we're only going to focus on the Windows world, they're like, we're going to open it to everybody. We're going to make the best tooling so- solution for everything. Billions right? and billions. Billion, billions, billions, well, yes. Because again, Objective-C, I don't know how many if you've, if you've ever spent time. I spent maybe three days looking at it going, I can do this, but I'm going to make the same stupid mistakes for the next six months because it's just the way the language is weird. But the fact that I always needed a Mac to do anything, I'm like, until someone pays me to do this, it's, 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 not, it's not a hobby, right? We were talking before in the pre-show about hobby things. The fact that now I can download Xamarin and just play with it. I mean, never yeah, build right. anything real. And there the was a barrier can... to that because that indie edition had a uh, it had a size limit to your binary, yep. which was actually pretty small. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yep. it was it was like Hello World, and maybe a little further than that. Yeah. If you wanted to go beyond that, even just to do stuff, they didn't really have a way to get a developer version that was affordable. You get yep. the individual one, I forget the price, but a few hundred bucks. But even that, again, unless you were really going to build something real, there's no initiative. But right. now the fact that, hey, I have MSDN, and now it's just part of it, it's the same thing like the new SQL Server, right? Hey, SQL Server 2014 has this R, R uh, language stuff built into it. I get to download it and play with it. I may never right. do anything with, with with all that stuff. Yeah. But the fact that I have access to it, it makes me start to think about, hmm, maybe I want to learn a little bit more about machine learning. Yeah. How it's, can I use this at the, work? Yeah. The door is open to me. That was, that was, the, big, that was the big barrier change for me with this announcement, the, the Xamarin announcement, is that I had tried it out or tried to try it out previously, but that was back when you had to pay for it. There was no free version, and um, it, it was just all of these barriers to entry, and I ended up just giving up because, frankly, I didn't care, right? I was just playing around with it. And so, yeah, it, it definitely it lowers the barrier to entry. It allows you to, to get in easier and, and just start playing with it, and, and maybe you do something with it. Maybe you just keep playing around with it, and it, Whatever. I mean, it opens the door, right? That's yeah. it's a little more and exciting also, than what it was before. I also think it, it takes a lot of people who did decide to go down this path, if they had web experience, they end up going down Cordova. And while Cordova can give you a pretty decent application, it's not native, right? I mean, there, there are limitations, and then depending on what frameworks you use, there's even yeah, other barriers. The, the, the fact that, again, it's about choice, right? I'm not It's the other path this. now. Yeah. yeah. It's the other. So there's the two paths now. There's the Cordova path, which was really the only true free path and now we have the xamarin path which says hey just you know you like c sharp you can keep your c sharp right yeah. c cross-platform c sharp has always been a very uh, it's it's always had a big allure for me but 
I mean, frankly, I've always, short of like highly intensive graphical things, uh, just the, the Cordova, the HTML approach has always just worked out incredibly well for me. And I, I, I think that it's I always been... the same thing. Yeah, it, it's always been sold very, very short. Uh, but everybody is, everybody's going for native, it seems like. And I just am sitting on the sidelines wondering why, because I've never had a real problem. Not to say I haven't run into problems, right? I definitely had poor performance, and I had to go in and do little hacks and workarounds and everything to deal with it and fake certain things out. But we're web developers. We're used to doing that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's part of what we do. That's part of the web. It's, yeah, instead of having it. three browsers, now you have 160 browsers if you yeah. target Android. Yeah. Uh, so I, isn't I that really the play here is that you just actually hit on it is while we got all of these free tools, the Xamarin test cloud costs a couple dollars and it's pretty cool. Like, you know, and that, and it, that doesn't look like that's changing. And it's a way to say, oh, so now you're serious about this cross platform work on hundreds of devices. We've got a testing service over here that gives you and great. What does feedback. it run on? It runs on. Azure. That's assuming that people actually test. That's a huge assumption. I can tell you again, unless you have a Mac Mini or another Mac machine, you can't actually compile the code. Yeah. You do need, it needs to do remote compilation. Yeah. Um, So the cloud gives you that same thing. So you'll see people try it out. And I'm sure eventually, like with Azure, there'll be a, with MSDN, there'll be 20 hours free a month or some weird thing. Yeah, right. (laughs) Eventually they'll they'll get to it. Um, so again, what else? I, I what else was interesting in Azure? What, we're talking about the cloud. We're talking about Azure. They were talking about Azure. Clearly, that's the the, the their their money cow at this point. Yes. That's um, the case, so so some of the the service factory stuff is is interesting. I don't know enough about it to have an intelligent conversation. Service fabric, Azure yeah, service serv- fabric. Yeah. When I saw the Hanselman thing, it started to click on me. Like, okay, again, they're building this ecosystem, or even like the bot framework. They're building me a framework for me to get going. Any one of yeah, us could probably figure fair. out how to do all that stuff to take it so far. But having that framework to start with means that I can focus on the problem I'm trying to solve and right. not the plumbing. And eventually, and I'm idea. sure, there's going to be something there. I'm like, oh, you know what? I kind of need to work around this or I need to build my own plumbing to do this. But again, I'm not starting from ground zero. Right? I mean, you yeah, to it, me... Visual Studio. I don't ever start from ground zero. I think file a new project... I got a chunk of code already ready to go. I'm not starting with just submain. I'm actually have something to, to build from. Like what I know about service fabric is in a way it's kind of a return to the roots of when Azure came out and they had web roles and worker roles and they would tell us like, look, don't worry about what's what it's running on. It was pure platform as a service scale up and scale down. And, and in a way this is an evolution of that saying, Okay, well, with Service Fabric, you write your service, or we might think of it like a microservice, if we wanted to use those terminologies, right? And uh, you write it in the language you're familiar with. And, oh, you know how most microservices are stateless? Well, we have support for a stateful service where we even abstract away from you the pain of writing stateless services, Kind of. Right? I mean, kind of, right? They're trying to abstract that away so that you can still think in the the stateful manner that you, like, want to think in. But don't worry, we'll take care of it. Um, and then, of course, the demo was, was, was showing the game Age of Ascent, which, um, you know, those folks have had uh, high numbers of concurrent players. 
they're apparently using .NET Core. And I do know that one of the the key developers on that team has been a major contributor to Kestrel and the reason why they're up over, you know, a million requests per second and climbing. Um, yeah, that demo, the demo was amazing, specifically the self-healing app thing, right? Sure. Where he went yeah, in yeah, and sure. he just like carelessly just went and checked in something that blew up the whole server and it rolled itself right. back. That was very impressive, but it was also a little bit of snake oil. It was a little bit of magic, right? He kind of said, oh, well, the Age of Ascent servers have this mechanism where they monitor and they see if blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that code is the complex <laughs> code and that, right? Rolling yeah. back, that's, I'm, I'm oversimplifying that's it here. But that's check out, right? Yeah, right. It's a, <laughs> it's a, a matter process. of automating the Azure APIs, right? Making some automated calls. It's that monitoring code that he just kind of glossed over. That's the truly complex stuff. What does it mean? What does it mean to fail? What is a failure situation, right? How do you know that you've checked out bad code? And, and they weren't clear if that was part of service fabric because later on some of them nah. were talking about this hockey app. Nah, and wasn't. the hockey app, I wasn't sure where that fit in. So back to something Chris said. So back in the old com days, we did have something like this that we really haven't had in the Microsoft world, MTS. I don't know if you guys were familiar with Microsoft Transaction Server. When I look at this stuff, I see where we were in 1999 with MTS. I see a lot of that same pieces. Sure. Yeah, really it's just have. a reimagining for the cloud. Yes. Yeah, yeah, back yeah. then, they were called components. Yeah. Now they're microservices. Yeah. But That's the same fair. concept of I want to build a, a thing that does X, and I want to deploy it in an environment. Because um, I, I always laugh when we talk about cloud. I'm like, okay, so basically we've reinvented the mainframe. Yeah, well, right. That's the whole idea, <laughs> right? And that's yeah. what we need bash because yeah. we got to have somebody write that JCL code, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and micro <laughs> microservices now, they're just really small services, right? We've been doing service-oriented service, service -oriented architecture more or less for, for, for years now, and microservices are just smaller things, modular it, development, right? It's that cycle, right? Every year we cut, every two years, everything kind of cycles around. Now yeah. we're back to SOA. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're just not calling it SOA because right. SOA didn't succeed. <laughs> right. Except it did really succeed. Yeah. I do <laughs> have to say, before we, before we move on, I do have to say just about Service Fabric is that you guys had actually mentioned in, in the pre-show when we were talking about it the, that uh, in, the, in the video, in the demo, you actually had to call the Service Fabric APIs, right? There's a set of APIs that you're calling. And, I mean, call me... Call me, call me anal or whatever you want to call me, but I just see when I see all of these Azure APIs, I see dependencies, right? And I'm just inherently averse to dependencies. Like uh, I'll give you the the other end of the spectrum: WCF services, right? Sure, it's got a lot of configuration and everything, but you, you can take care of that later. But the core programming model is create an interface, create a class that implements that interface, create methods. Those methods are your endpoints. Right. And so decorate them. Yeah. And then decorate <laughs> them. Yeah. Add some add some attributes, add some configuration, spread them between code and configuration. Right, You choose where yeah. you want to do it. But for the fundamental programming model, classes, simple classes, methods, objects, objects in objects out. Right. That is the that is a great design. That's a great pattern and a great philosophy to, to drive. And then you go on to the other end of the fa other end of this of the spectrum where you're talking about integrating with service fabric, very, very specific APIs. And so, in other words, vendor lock in. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, that's so well, and, and I went back and looked at what they were doing. And what he was doing was using what Chris talked about, the reliable stuff in order to maintain the state or your statelessness environment, you need to use, I think it was like reliable collection or some other things he was using. Yeah, yeah. So, so I would take it that if you didn't need that, if you because you could always put your own stateless environment, 
to a degree, you wouldn't need the dependencies. Sure. Again, I kind of equated like MTS, right? When MTS, I had to inherit from a certain object, and I had to. There were certain rules I had to follow. But you're right; there is going to be vendor lock-in. I don't think Service Fabric is locked to Azure, though. I mean, they I, that even wasn't mentioned, the part. It wasn't clear. Yeah, they even mentioned in the keynote, you pick all this stuff up and run it on-prem or run it on another cloud and, and reluctantly even said that cloud could be AWS. Okay. No, I mean, that's, that's awesome. Like, so I missed that. It's I, not like what they said. It's not like what they said was you could go run it in another cloud. Wink, wink. He, I, I think that there was a sense that that's not enough for the audience. Yeah. So went ahead, went ahead and used the, the dirty words, right? Yeah. You could take this and run it in AWS. And that's kind of the whole Azure stack initiative. I think is it's almost like it's, we know that OpenStack is out there too. So let's try and get everything that's running in Azure, something you can also do on-prem just so we make you comfortable as our customer. And then what we probably hope is that you're going to be like, okay, well, I'm comfortable. Let's just run it in Azure. Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, let's just cut all. Let's just cut all that out. To be clear, I mean, it, it, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of dependencies, but dependencies are not evil. You got to consider them. You know what you're taking in yes. and the cost of what you're taking in. But you mentioned the reliable collections. If that's a good library to use, like if that actually offers you functionality that you then don't have to code yourself, of course, awesome. That's great. I was more commenting on the dependency right. on Azure yeah. itself, which is, and I wasn't even specifically picking on Service Fabric. This is just the. It's everything. It's everything. It, all of these yeah. Azure services that I've kind of played sure. around with, every single time I play around with them, I just feel that vendor lock-in. And if what you're saying is true, Chris, that's awesome, right? And that completely well, negates all of trick. my concerns. I think there would there is some value into investigating and playing with it because there is a lot of wondering about this. I think a lot of people, they might have watched the build keynote and said, well, how does this really work? And the answers aren't there. There isn't a ton of expertise out there yet. This is pretty new stuff. Um, it's been in preview for a little while, but I'm pretty sure Service Fabric went GA. Yeah, it did. And that so, announcement, so it was... you know, now is probably the time. It might be interesting for us to uh, see if we can figure out a little bit more about it because a lot of people, I think, are wondering just what you said, Jess, is... Uh, you know, how many people are using cloud today, but they're really just using it as another data center yep. because mm -hmm. they're afraid of vendor lock-in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's go with VMs. And I personally, um, I really like the idea of PaaS. I'm fully aware of the, the problem of, of being locked into a cloud, but I just really like the idea of can I can I just stop thinking about that stuff? Yeah. Can I get to that day? Yeah. Well, but and my point about yet. avoiding vendor lock-in is that the code that you write and the applications that you write and the environment that you, you write them in, that should all be neutral. And then if you yep, end up sure. having to, you know, of course you're going to do vendor lock-in to write the scripts to automate everything in specifically AWS. Or There's also services to abstract over that as well. Sure. But, yeah. you know, that, that might be a little bit of overkill because, I mean, frankly, once you go into you know aws or azure you're probably going to stay there at least for those services i've also heard of some places distribute you know some stuff is in aws some stuff is in azure that's pretty cool too but yeah those particular things that you're choosing to place in either or they're probably going to stay there like, there's probably a reason well, that you made that yeah. decision in the first place and it'll probably stay there i mean scott hanselman did uh, not in the keynote he did <laughs> a different demonstration of where they built using asp.net core they build an app that they deployed to Azure, 
but they also yeah. deployed it to AWS sure. and they also yep. deployed it to Docker Cloud. And then everybody who he said, hey, everybody, go hit my app. Yeah. And I know on my screen it said, oh, you're running in Docker Cloud. Yeah. And supposedly you might see something else. And then what he showed on screen was something else. Yeah. And there was a whole map showing that all these people are in different clouds. So I even feel like they're trying to address that and say, yeah. and almost even as a best practice. Yeah. Like Microsoft's trying to step forward and say, we know you developers are afraid of, of a single point of failure by being in one cloud. So we're even going to introduce as a best practice yeah. that you use us and AWS. Yeah. Look how look how benevolent we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, again, I, I think that these are all valid points, but ultimately, you you ultimately eventually do have vendor lock in, right? I mean, we all build Microsoft technologies, so I, I think. The way I would address what, what Jess was talking about is I would do good architecture, right? If I'm going to take this dependency on reliable collection or whatever, I'd abstract it away. So my core code was doing what I'm trying to solve, and I'm just using those things for the plumbing piece, right? It's the same thing if you were building something for SharePoint or any other platform, right? There is some level of dependencies you have to take. Yeah, yeah. You just got to be smart about it. You got yeah. to understand, don't, like, we'll use a perfect example. Don't build your entire application around data sets. Yeah, right. That was a bad idea. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> they're going to go away someday. You should abstract, keep your classes and keep your other things. Because guess what? If I needed to port this code to Java, they have classes and they have instant strings. So it right. is definitely um, a smarter way to design. Right. Leverage leverage the arch the architecture and the infrastructure that Service Fabric provides. Just try and avoid leveraging don't the APIs directly as much as you don't can. Don't have the leaky abstraction. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> don't right. build web forms. <laughs> right. So now the other half of the cloud here is uh, Office 365, right? So we've got Azure, we've got Office 365. Now, I don't care at all about Office 365 as a developer. Like, this is not interesting for me at all. I don't know if you guys are interested in it, but... So I'm a consumer now of Office 365. We use it at work. It is from a using it for what it's good for, it's fairly good, it's really easy. I can log in to Office 365 and I have everything. I have Word, I have access to download the latest version of Office, I get Exchange in the cloud, I get Active Directory in the cloud, it all just works. And actually, that was probably the most amazing thing, is our Active Directory syncs with, with, with that Office 365. So I have to change my password within 10 minutes, right. I can log into any website, and right. it just it works. Right. And I'm like... I okay. was half expecting this to be like a delay. So is that so the selling point? Office 365, yeah. it's just exchange that Throw works. away your exchange server. Yeah. Right? Yes. I mean, is that <laughs> it? It's, that's the selling well, point, right? Well, no, I mean, that's, but that was sort of like the vision that was explained to me years ago. They're like, if we can just put, if we can, we can lock people into exchange forever by making them come through the cloud. Um, yeah, we could eliminate a lot of admins this way. Well, we could also Ooh. eliminate a lot of calls about problems. <laughs> right. But it's true. It's true. Exchange is a nightmare, right? Yeah. It's a nightmare um, for every organization. So I think that unless you are a SharePoint developer, the whole dev story here is, is not that important. But there are a lot of people who are SharePoint developers, and they are... But now you can order pizza and coffee. Yes. Right. Well, no, that, no, no, that was the bot framework. That oh, was, that was something else. Oh, I'm sorry. That was something totally, totally different. <laughs> I'm confusing all of these things that I don't really yeah, care yeah. about. So, so, I mean, I think that they desperately want Office 365 to be a platform that we all go and build on. And, or, and that, or they want the enterprise. They want the enterprise to now say, all right, we're not going to install SharePoint and Exchange on our, in our environment and never do anything really with it. 
We're going to pay yeah. Microsoft to host it for us. That's like a whole show. And then right we're going to put all our documents up there. Yeah. Because then you control our documents and all our intellectual property. <laughs> and it all this show is going in an interesting what? direction. <laughs> Once you start putting the documents in the cloud, you're never going to switch. Yeah. It's going to be too much of an effort to go somewhere else. Yeah. No, so, I, you don't have to worry about it. Like the NSA has a copy. <laughs> It's just making it easier for them, right? Well, NSA should start selling backup services also. <laughs> exactly. But so, Chris, I, I completely agree with you. Like, that's how I feel. I feel like Microsoft is tr trying to get me to want to do yeah. this stuff, right? Not that, sure. like, I, it actually benefit me or that, that I would actually really need to use it for any particular reason, but they just want me to want to use it, and I'm not seeing why. So, I, again, it... it if you do a lot of collaboration through the Microsoft tools like Yammer or SharePoint and stuff, it's just the experience I think is even better. Because a lot of people when they when they installed SharePoint or Yammer, they would just install it and people would create yeah, stuff and it would never go anything. You're, you're now talking it's about much it more as a consumer together. though, and the problem with you talking about it as a consumer is I'm pretty sure they spent 25 to 30 minutes developing on Office Graph and stuff, saying like, "God, look how great this is," and it was crickets. You could hear a pin drop because yep. I think most people in the audience were just like you, Todd, saying like, yeah, great. I want Office 365 at work, but I don't I'm not going to do any of this stuff. Yep. So Somebody I, has to be doing it, I suppose. Yeah. Again, the, the SharePoint world, is the SharePoint is, consultants, right? Yeah, they're, they're the ones the, the, Gosh, the graph stuff does sound interesting. I actually tried to play with it when it mm -hmm. first came out and I called and I was expecting to get stuff and I got no data back and I'm like. Hmm, maybe I didn't have something set up right. <laughs> I was expecting to get my, 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 my org chart back or something. Maybe my graph is uninteresting. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, again... Um, you got boring so graphs, I, Todd. That's your problem. I happen to actually work at a place where we do offer products on top of these platforms. So Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, sure. Th there is definitely a... If you're in that SharePoint world, there is, there's interest there. But again, if you're not a SharePoint developer, there's a reason you're not a SharePoint developer, right? You don't care about building collaborative tooling or, or extensions, right? You're thinking about something totally different. So, but kind of let's sidetrack over to what Jess is talking about. He was talking about the uh, ordering food and stuff. So that wasn't anything they would offer 365. That was something called the bot framework. Right. Which I understand is, yeah. is very cool, but very dangerous. It's basically machine learning stuff. The demos they showed, and they showed with Cortana and some other things, is this idea that you could deploy this service bot into the cloud, and you could actually set it up so that you can have a communication. A human being could have a communication to them. Right. And so, one of the things we really haven't talked about yet is, and I can't remember the exact word he used. I think he's called it the conversation. Conversation as a well, conversation as a platform. As a platform, yeah. yes. Yep. So. Again, if you start thinking about this sort of as the, 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 we'll call it the Star Trek computer, right? They never typed on a computer screen, right? They talked to the computer. They told the computer, I need to do this. I need to know if the warp drive is working. And the computer was intelligent enough to understand what that meant or the fact that Scotty asked him, Scotty wanted this information. But if Captain Kirk had asked him, he wants something else. So I kind of look at all this stuff as sort of that, very early stages of, of, of that intelligence. Yeah. The whole machine yeah. learning stuff and everything is the idea that I don't want to even need a freaking monitor in the future, right? I just want to have my HoloLens, whatever you want to call it, or whatever device I'm going to have, and I want to be talked to it. I want to say, hey, you know what? What is the... What we, we were talking before about uh, Echo, right? This yeah. is sort of like Echo 
to the next level. Because Echo right now is right. basically does search, which we're not going to tell with all the commercials. This is something you interact with, and as a developer, you program it to do things. You tell it, all right. right, when someone asks for today's date, it would know that, or someone says on Friday, it would know, like, hey, on Friday you have a meeting. Context aware. <coughs> Context, yeah. Yeah. You come and extend it, too, because, I mean, while they did the, the a pizza demo, you know, order some pizza, uh, the, the demo that I actually found a little more compelling was the one where, through conversation, eventually Cortana says in, in a Skype chat, yeah, Skype well, if you need to, if you need to book a hotel and it invites the, you know, a bot in for the hotel chain and then you, you type a little bit more and it's like, okay, sure. We've got your room ready now. And I'm thinking, okay, now that I see some value in, but it is an ask of Microsoft to like, you know, all of us, please go out and build yes, these bots yes. so that we can have our interconnected world. Yes. Because if you don't do it. Right. It doesn't happen. That's my problem is this stuff makes great demos, amazing demos. When you pay your partners or you give them some invent incentive to do this for you so that you can show it on stage, it looks amazing. Look at our connected world. All of these 10 partners that we paid to make these demos, it just connects and, and it just works perfectly. But then, I mean, I, I swear I've seen this demo 10, 20 years ago. I've seen the same demo over and over again. You've seen it in the Windows Store. What we've seen, I think, is Microsoft gets on stage and shows us, look at our partner yeah. made this great app for the for the Windows Store. And then Windows 8 comes out and there's a store and you go look, you go look at it and say, oh, man, I want to look at all the apps that are in the store. And it's the ones you saw on stage yes. because no one else has bought in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But and, so I, and that's the thing that Microsoft hasn't cracked is like, you know, let's go over to iOS. Yeah. Something gets demonstrated on stage and then the feature comes out, the new phones come out, and you go to the store and everyone right. is in. Right. Right. Like New York Times is in, Amazon's in, right. everyone's in. Right. And Microsoft hasn't figured out how to get you know, they haven't figured out how to get that to happen. I actually like what they did with Channel Nine this year. They had the whole little pre show of stuff and then it would go into the, the different talks. And when I was listening, they actually did a couple of things with, with women in technology and there's one thing yeah. that came to mind related to this there was a, a woman I think it was a panel of women and she yeah. was actually talking about they were they all created startups or something which was the yep. kind of interesting thing there was a woman who talked about she was building a, an application that would track different parts of your your trip or something like that it was to do with the idea that you may have your hotel here and your, your flights are here and she was building this app that sort of collaborated all together so I think something like the bot framework would make sense for her to build that kind of stuff, right? So you having four different websites or even her websites to go to, if you could fire up Cardano or Echo or whatever whatever platform you want to use, and it's intelligent enough for, to know that says, like, hey, when is my flight on Friday? And it could go out and talk to something, and it would say, hey, your flight is on Friday, but we just heard the United Airlines is going to have a delay of two hours. So I will auto... Do you want me to automatically now... The, the shuttle was going to pick you up. Do you want me to contact them and tell them to move the shuttle so it is a demoware thing but you could build all these things so i, I get it. It, it there's a cool factor to it but it may never go anywhere right yeah yeah but but all of that being said i mean the, the thing to notice kind of at a macro level is that we do we we just mentioned you guys mentioned siri cortana um and and alexa right echo and we are clearly at the beginning of this like conversational bot revolution right. I don't want to call it a revolution I don't want to overstate it but like this is clearly the beginning of something and this allows you to tie into it as a developer 
So that, that is pretty cool. It's just these demos. I'm incredibly skeptical. Like I see through the smoke and mirrors. And when I see through it, I see too this legitimate kind of API and platform that they're selling. There is something legitimate there. What I'm really skeptical of is these integrations. Because for you know political reasons, for monetary reasons, for whatever reasons, like this stuff just never happens, right? Yeah, and I think too that if for all three of us, really, we're enterprise developers. You're not going to go out and convince your your CEO or CTO tomorrow that all of a sudden you're going to start building bot frameworks, right? Well, because it's not about the technology. The technology is not the, the, the thing that's stopping this from happening, right? It's now the technology is there. Now it's all of these other factors <laughs> that come into play. And the, the funny thing is, I think eventually you're going to have certain people who ask for certain things. Like, they're going to ask. Someone's going to come to you someday, Jess, like, you know, how do we get Echo into our application? Like, you used to tell the funny story about how do we get to the cloud to work? Right. So it, it's... Yeah. it's there's this level of barrier from, from IT because historically they're like, if it's not on-premise and we didn't build it, it's not secure kind of stuff, where eventually there's going to be some guy who's going to be like, I got to have this. I don't care. And if he has the, the power to make that decision, all of a sudden you'll be, they'll come to you and Jess and you'll be running bot components. Yeah, but are you going to do it on Microsoft's bot platform or on the future bot platforms coming up from the rivals? Exactly. I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to be doing it in TypeScript. That is for sure. <laughs> Some of it worked with Node, so yes, you could do it in TypeScript. <laughs> so it, Windows uni- or Universal Windows apps, they talked about those a lot too. Uh, do you care about those? So this is the one area I am very confused by. And I'm confused because it feels nothing but marketing. right? We've, we've had, today in the desktop world, if you're building a desktop Windows application, you really have three choices. You could still build WinForms, you could build a WPF app, sure. or... You could theory, not build a desktop build a app. app at all. You could, well, you, you could build a Node app, right? You could do like Atom or, or, or Visual Studio Code. Or you could build a Windows Universal app. And the idea behind it, the best I can tell, is, is this idea that, well, what if you could build all of them and you could then deploy them to everything? You could deploy it to your Xbox, your, your HoloLens, your Windows Store app, your the phone, The dream of cross-platform. So when I think about it, it's like, okay, now you have Xamarin. Right, and and for all intents and purposes, you could almost argue that they have sort of a story where you could run C sharp, yeah, on Android, right? Yep, yep. That if that's the real story, if I could yep. build a Windows Universal application that ran on iOS and Android and all these other things, yep, then I'm interested. So, are they competing? Are they competing technologies, Xamarin and and Universal Windows app? No. So Xamarin, I so Windows Universal applications is a way for you. To build something that talks to all different Windows devices. Right. Xamarin is a way for you to then take that to the next level, which would then take it to Android and iOS. So you're saying Xamarin well, build, can build on top of Universal Windows apps? They're not the same, they're though. They're not the I same. Mean, the XAML isn't the same. I mean, maybe someday it will be, but Xamarin XAML is not UWP XAML, which is not WPF XAML. And, and we've yeah. talked. No, I see them There's as been competing the problem technologies. of the multiple XAMLs. As far as I'm concerned, they're two different technologies. UWP apps are store apps. Like, yes, and I that, know I'm, nutsh- yeah. I'm putting it in a nutshell, but that's essentially it, is they're store apps. And because they're in the store, they'll run on your Windows 10 machine, your desktop. They'll also run on your So your, today your, you can use Windows. Phone. You can use Xamarin Forms to do that. You can, because Xamarin Forms is the, the, the abstraction layer. Right, yeah, right. One XAML, and all of a sudden, I end up with three different apps. Well, that means it's a Xamarin app targeting UWP, right? Right. right. The Windows Store well, yeah. is just another target of a Xamarin app, not the other way around. Yes. 
Correct. Right. So that's why I said it built upon it. So it's right? clearly if, the if winning technology. Build, uh, <laughs> well, it was. Now it's in the box. The question. So, yeah, this is part of the confusion, right? If, if I came today and someone came to me and like, I want to build a desktop app. And I'm like, well, you could build the Windows Forms, but that's really Win32. And who in the hell knows what it, how long that'll ever last. You could build in WPF, which is okay, but there's some limitations there. Particularly if you have a big lot of things going on the screen, there's performance issues. Yeah. Then there's Windows Universal, which has a really compelling, interesting thing, and that is Direct 12 support, <laughs> where they can't claim they can make it run really fast. The problem with that is it's a store app, so most of the applications I build are for enterprises. I don't want a store app. Yeah. <laughs> I want sort of the in between. So it, it, it's, I kind of look at it. They really don't have a, the right story there. Yeah. They. they Right. It, it's it's more marketing than solution. Yeah. Right. Well, the store app story that they're not very good at talking about is that they're they're getting closer to giving enterprises. I don't want to call it store access, but like side loading access. Pri- private stores. Private yeah. stores, yeah. so that basically, and and you know, in a way, this isn't a horrible idea to say, man, you know, with your own private store, you can once again take control of the loading yeah. of apps on your. Enterprises devices. We have that. Not a yeah. not a horrible thing, right? Yeah. We're using that. It's just and they, and they have the pieces, right? They have yep. the SMS servers and other things that can make a lot of this work. Yep. And so again, it's I kind of feel like they've they've evolved in this thing, but they didn't really have a a clear direction. Mm-hmm. It just sort of happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, did you see the demo where they said, you know, Win32 apps? Take your Win32 app, run it through this magic. Thing. I mean, look, it was magic. Kevin Gallo, I think, did it on stage. And out the other end comes a store app. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was and the wrapper thing, because they were doing that with JavaScript, sure, too. Sure. So that's and basically the, a convenient way for you to get your old code into into the store. And they were using an example, I think yeah. it was accounting software oh, gosh. or somebody. First they used, well, they did Age of Empires, and then they did, yeah, they and then they did The Witcher. So, sure, they started off with an old game to make you say, like, oh, wow, look at that, old games. And then it was like, hey, now let's do a, let's do a new game. And I mean, impressive, obviously, probably a work in progress because you've got to figure the amount of work it's going to take to sandbox up the Win32 API. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's more likely to just be abandoned at this point. And and, and am I eventually going to hit a layer, right? I mean, The Witcher, I mean, in the day, it's higher performance, but it's all DirectX, right? So they've, they've probably optimized that layer. But if I'm going to some database call or somewhere or I'm doing an ODBC driver thing, <laughs> I guarantee that hasn't been optimized. Well, that's why I don't think I don't think Win32 is going anywhere. And I think it's because no. it's in Microsoft's DNA. Like, you know how we talk about <laughs> Apple's DNA yeah. being a yeah. vertical hardware company? Yeah. yeah. That's their DNA. They, they, they create a wonderful hardware experience and then they integrate completely vertically so that you're just like, you're in. Yeah, but the cloud now is overshadowing everything, right? Azure is a CPU, sell, selling CPU cycles is overshadowing everything, including Office, right? They're no longer focusing on getting Office on your desktop, but getting Office in the cloud. And if you happen to use the desktop app as well, awesome. It comes free sure, with the cloud Backcompat is like, right? Backcompat is like Microsoft's DNA. Uh, I don't know anymore. I don't, I'm not sure it's in Satya's DNA. I think the moment that you say to an enterprise, oh, by the way, we just broke all your desktops, until that enterprise stops using desktops or switches operating systems, well, right, which could right. happen. Yeah. Which that could happen. Well, once you're all in but, the cloud, what's left on the desktop? 
are people doing that yet? Are people going to the cloud and using like remote app to say like we re- you just have the dumbest terminal of all time and you're doing everything? Maybe I mean it, it really depends on the enterprise, right? Or or the place. There's a lot of places they run the oldest hardware they can find. They they they're still running 32-bit computers because yeah. it's just they got to buy 10,000 units and they don't want to upgrade. Or if they got to upgrade, yeah. they have to upgrade everyone. That's just how the the system is set up. Um, so I look at it more as. It, it, it's really hard. It, like just hit one before about we're, we're kind of at day one. Like there's these big revolutions, right? So the cloud is a revolution that's been coming for a while, and it may totally fail, right? It may or it may become popular for two years and then sort of die away. Who knows? But if cloud does pick on, right? Think about the the younger generation of people. They're so used to everything being on the internet. So as they become people who make decisions in companies. They're not averse to this idea that, hey, I just want to use Office 365, or I want to use Facebook app X to do whatever. They're not. They're not. They're not have that legacy of, well, we got to have an Oracle database sitting over here because that's just what we have. Yeah. So I I think that it's it's funny, and this is this is why Microsoft always succeeds. They're the only company can do this, right? They can be play both worlds. If everybody sticks on desktop forever, they're making money. If all of a sudden tomorrow people are like, you know, we really don't need desktops. We need Google Chrome computers. Well, they're like, hey, just use Azure then because we'll make it integrate well. So I kind of look at it as they're not not making the mistake of we are going to bet the company on Windows forever, right? Because they sort of made that mistake with with Windows 8. Right. But they are betting on – they are betting on Azure. I mean, they're all in on Azure quite clearly. I'm not really disagreeing with you. I'm just kind of – Right, that that's where they win. I, I'm I, I agree that they win on the desktop and they win in the cloud, but they win in the cloud. Right, that's that's what oh, they're yeah. focusing well, on. That's where they're, they're eventually going. They want you to go to the cloud. Yeah. They, they were, but they really want is they want both. Right. Yeah. They right. want you. Eventually, you're going to see this. Right. And even though we talk about the bot framework with Cordova or Cordova, um, Cortana being integrated more and more into Azure. Yeah. They want you to install a Windows desktop. They went to Windows Desktop to then have very friendly environment for nah. you to interact with. No, I mean right now Cortana is running on Windows devices, but it's not tied to that platform at all. It's it not tied. Be just running on there yeah, for long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I understand. What I'm saying though is, if they can tie you to Windows, that's a plus. Yeah. Well, now don't you think? Now here's the, now this isn't build related at all. But with how cozy they've gotten with Linux and continuing to hire Linux gurus and continuing to invest in Linux and, and continuing to build development platforms for Linux, someday they just come out with a Microsoft Linux if they're actually losing the desktop war. And at that point, they won't care, right? Just, hey, yeah, right. Or, or Windows will become free. Well, right, Windows becomes free. Or, oh, look, you you folks absolutely want to move to Linux, but you want, you want you know, you're frustrated with those... Linux desktops. Yeah, right. We got a desk. We uh-huh. got a desktop or, for or you. Or enterprise will say this is port contract because ultimately for enterprise sure. it's very important they want support contract. Yeah, absolutely. They're the only one who could do it, right? They could take the yeah, loss right. if they have a story that well, keeps you in. Windows revenue is already way down. Windows revenue is right. is now not the cash cow of the no, company. No, it's not. It, it's 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 still heavily Office and the server products. Right. Sure, server and, and Azure. Azure yeah, is beginning Azure, to yeah. become the cash cow, and so it's like. They've already transitioned the revenue. Yes, but it, 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 it's a slow-moving train. It, it's it's not 
in yeah. ten years from now, maybe there isn't there isn't a Windows like we mm-hmm. think of Windows today. But that's not happening yep. tomorrow. And again, what are they also tying in? <clears throat> Exchange and SharePoint. Those are cash cows too. They're tying them into Office three sixty five yeah. because then you're 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 not going to go once you come there. You're never going to go away, right? And because it's just it's too much of an investment for a company. I think once someone picks the, the, their path, they're going to kind of stick to it, at least for a while. So the other thing we didn't really talk about was, and, and Chris, I think you, you've done some stuff with this, is devving out your Xbox. Yeah, Phil Spencer came on stage, the head of Xbox, and which is a little unusual. He even said it was his first build, right? Because usually he shows up at E3. And, and I mean, Phil Spencer is a gamer's gamer. They brought him over to apply to really like return the focus of Xbox to games. And um, one of the, one of the things that the Xbox 360 became popular among hobbyists was the fact that you could use XNA and get a creator's club subscription. And even if you never did anything with it, you never published a game, you could sit at home and write code and see it running on your TV with your controllers, which is kind of a cool thing. And so Xbox dev mode is now available uh for the xbox one and i've played with it a little bit um the documentation is actually quite good you you know i'm not kidding you go follow the docs uh about this and they're actually even are more complete than you'd expect it starts to talk they start to talk about issues with developing console apps so anyways you if you're in something like the xbox dashboard preview program you have to get out of that and that's going to take a couple days so that's what happened to me is I had to disenroll my Xbox and wait. And then once that was out, then I enrolled in the that's, Xbox One dev our, program. Are you the target demographic? Like, <laughs> Why didn't they just yeah. automatically enroll you? It's odd. Well, and so once I was in that, you got to have a Dev Center account, which is basically means you've got to be signed up to make Windows Store apps, which is not very expensive if you're if you don't already have one from the past, because now the... Once you've signed up, you're in forever. It's $19, which is way better than that $99 fee. Um, which was what the XNA fee was, right? That was $99. The XNA fee was $99 a year for Creators Club. And there was a time when uh, the Windows Dev Center, or, you know, it's had a million names, right? Um, was like $99 or $79 or stuff like that. But now it's $19 in perpetuity. So anyways, once you get all that done, the, the grand... The final story is you can use Windows, the universal Windows platform, UWP, and you can run those apps on the Xbox. Now, at Build, they talked a lot about how the purpose of this mode is to allow the the, the Build audience, which is usually, usually business developers, to start working on apps that will run on the Xbox One. They presume that there is a class of apps, including like maybe streaming and entertainment services, or even I even think there's an underserved market of like edutainment kind of things that would be great for kids. Um, one of the sessions, the breakout sessions, the demo app was like a presidents of the United States app where you use your controller to pick a president and then you got information about the president. And honestly, I, I really do think that's kind of underserved. The focus was definitely on apps. Yeah, not games per se, right? It was yeah, the focus at build they were saying, you know, instead of you having to go get an Xbox dev kit, use these retail kits and you can start working on the apps. We still have no details about how you go about publishing them. Um 
I don't think we're going to know that for a little while, how that's all going to work. But, but what I immediately did is said, well, I'm going to make a game. <laughs> so, cause I mean, I run the Philly GameWorks dev group and we were just hobbyists who want to make fun, small games. And so, uh, I decided to take it a, a test drive using a universal windows platform in JavaScript. I went and grabbed the phaser JavaScript framework and in about 180 lines of code and only because I wasn't trying very hard to, to do anything other than to get it working. You know, I had a little guy running around, jumping on platforms, collecting stars, playing music, using the controller to the point that my, my five-year-old got super excited and, uh, she was filing bug reports left and right. Like <laughs> I had the little guy moving. Did you tell her to send a pull request? With... Yes. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. Like, so she's, she, you know, like I said, she's five. She was super excited because daddy was getting stuff working on this TV on the Xbox. That's the way she looked at it. So I said, here's, I said, here, here's the controller. And she moved the character left and right. And immediately, daddy, how do I make him jump? And I'm like, oh, great. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's a everybody, <laughs> everybody's a critic, right? So then I get him jumping and uh, a few things, daddy, it's not playing any sound, man. <laughs> so then we got some sucks. sound working and then here's the crazy thing is, so there were these bouncing stars that I wanted you to collect and um, I watched her playing it for a little bit and I noticed that as the stars were bouncing, she was jumping off the stars to like do boost jumps and I said, wait a second, you can jump off the stars? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, dang it, you found a bug. <laughs> so in about, that way. in about uh, 90 minutes, you know, she became a, a, a QA tester. Beta tester, and, um, yeah. But it's fun. It's fun. And, and you can use uh, Universal Windows Platform, which means I've already seen on the web people using Monogame, uh, Construct 2. I want to give Unity a try. Um, there are limitations. You only have access right now to a little bit under half a gig of the RAM. You don't have access to the full system. They say by the time this preview program ends, they're going to increase some of that a little bit. We don't know what the future is for this, but I will say that if you just like the idea of having some fun making games on your Xbox, here's an opportunity. I'm not suggesting this as a like, okay, everybody go get to work on your great title. If you want to do that and you want to use windows technologies, Get into the Windows Store with a game. Yeah, yeah. that's Get your path. Oh, well, it's like Xamarin, right? It just lowers the barrier to entry. Yeah, right. You start fooling so, around. So here's a question. So, um, a couple questions. So, like you said, your daughter was finding bugs and things. Like, were you <laughs> right in Visual Studio, like fixing code yes. and you hit deploy, yep. and all of a sudden it's on your Xbox or remote debugging the... with breakpoints and everything? So you could remote debug. Yep, remote debugging nice. with breakpoints in JavaScript. Nice. Remember, I did my choice was to use JavaScript, which is when you go look at the UWP documentation for Xbox One, they give you a C++ and a C Sharp example. And I said, well, why wouldn't JavaScript work? Why wouldn't UWP JavaScript work? Yeah. And it does. And a lot of people will, will might, then your next question might be, well, isn't UWP JavaScript like lots of special Windowsy JavaScript? I can take this exact code. It's just HTML5. It's just like a host, and right? It's just running it's, a, a browser. It's just an edge host. Right. Yeah, the same I way it would take, be on I can, your PC. I could pick this exact code up that I used to make this little demo and just go throw it on a web server, and it Which would is, work exactly the same. There, right? nice. I mean, there, there right. is, yeah. there's, there's a level of interest there. And of course, I'm interested now because I can use TypeScript. Exactly, you could. So you could. You <laughs> so here's a question, um, kind of tying us all together. So does this mean now we should go be building some bots that we can then deploy a, a application on our Xbox One that will interact with it and, and talk about it? 
Because one of the other things they announced was this idea that Cord uh, Cordova, keep calling Cordova, Cortana was going to come to Xbox One, and you were going to be able to talk to her. Don't know what that means other than you could talk to her. But I, I thought that was kind of interesting that the that whole we talked in the beginning about Echo, right? That whole idea right. that Xbox One could be my Echo. I could talk to my TV and say, "Hey, what's the weather like in X Y Z?" or "When does the, the game come out?" So it, it it's almost like if you kind of start trying to connect dots here. If you're going to go down that path, it sounds like there maybe is some avenue to build some of these things that maybe you can be uh, sort of in the cutting edge about. I don't know. Yeah. There's lots of interesting things to play with. And, and one of the things I really like, and this is why I was asking about the, the, the dev experience, is to me as a developer, that's the thing that sells me. Right? Right. Like, I will go do that just because I can remote debug it. Right? And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's yeah. easy for me to do the simple hello world thing. I may never do anything beyond that. But the fact that I can do it, that just makes my interest. It piques my interest. Right. So to me, that's that's the takeaway from build for me was, because I, I felt like if you kind of watch the audience, particularly the first day, a lot of them seemed like uh, we're here. And it's, it's San Francisco. It's cool. But we don't know what's going on or why, why people are. Why, there's nothing to be excited about. If you look at it from the macro level, it's all kind of exciting. It's all these interesting things you can do. You may never use any of them in the real world, but the fact that I can go do them just from Visual Studio, I have access to all the things, that to me is the, the compelling argument. Yeah. The cool factor, right? Because ultimately, as developers, we want to pick a platform that's cool, right? We want to be, we want to be on the cool team. I don't know. That's my, my pitch. So, you want some of the cool way to have been all right. up here? <laughs> No, it's cool. I mean, look, you know, the, the barrier to entry for Xbox One dev mode is low if you've already made the investment in Xbox One and you happen to be a Windows developer. Like, yeah. I know I just threw some ifs on that. But if you are that person, well, then you've already got everything you need. You've got your laptop. You've got Visual Studio. You've got an Xbox One. Now, if anything, it's the $19 and you're in. Yeah. yeah. And it's just to play around. Yes, it is just to play around. But I know, I know when, when Philly Gameworks has an Xbox One dev meetup, that place is going to be packed. Yeah, because people have been asking me about it for since the Xbox One launched. Is when's this going to happen? I said, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, right? Yeah, that was a story. Yeah. So the other hardware that they were were big on was Hololens, right? But I, I'm not right. sure yes. we did we really see anything new or exciting there. It seemed like overall, maybe some of the lower level stuff was improved, but overall, it was really just the the demos from previously. What was what was the other conferences they were showing yeah. it at? Well, it seemed like the same. Build and yeah, it seemed like, seemed like the same demo. I, I think the, the the demo seemed a little little more put together. Yeah, from yes. My point of view. Yes. And, and they answered a question that was very important to me. One of the guys who was demoing it had, was wearing glasses. That was one of the things I was concerned about. <laughs> uh, this guy yeah, who wears sure. glasses. Yeah. How's it yeah. going to work? Well, look, the dev kit's done. That's the key. Well, I think that's so. It's no longer. This is a real thing. This isn't vapor yeah. anymore. You can go onto website and order it. It's expensive. But it's three thousand to get one. in, right? But but it's there. You can you can start developing on it. And if your business has an interest in getting into Hololens, it, it, there's now a dev kit and it's real, and you can get support instead of like, well, when's this going to be done? So that's interesting, right? I know some people went and they they previewed out the uh, the NASA thing, um, and they said it was it was quite an interesting experience. You could walk on Mars with Buzz Aldrin or something. Yeah. So I, I definitely feel like this is a lot of people are like, well, is this Google Glasses? And I feel like. This may never be like the ultimate thing in the world, but there is a set of use cases where this is going to be adopted, right? If you're going to well, any kind of game thing, probably actually, but if you're going to see something like a, a NASA thing or even an amusement park, 
there's going to be places where this sort of makes sense. Um, for me personally, the price is a little too high, and it's Dev One. Oh so sure. If if Dev Two and Three, it's under a grand to get into it. Eh, yeah. I'd be a little more interested in doing it. I'm not going to run out tomorrow. Um, but I definitely know some people who've gotten some of them, and it, it's funny. They they said they gave it to their kids, and within five minutes, their kids were had it on, and they were doing things. So that's a selling factor. So it's very natural for kids to yes. put on and start using, even with the gestures they showed. I saw them, and I said, I were actually worried a little about them when they talked about, like, oh, you know, you pinch. And I said, boy, this feels a little engineered, right? Yeah. Did they really think about the, the human factor here? You 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 position stuff by looking, but maybe that is how it works. I don't know. Got to remember, all the other competitors are all coming out with stuff. This is very much Gen One stuff. This is stuff that's going to evolve in the next ten to fifteen years. Fifteen years from now, it'll be a little thing you 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 put in your desk, and it'll, it'll be a little hologram you'll interact with. Maybe it, it'll just be, be in my contacts. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> we, for when it comes to Hololens, I look at it as it is one step closer to my holodeck. <laughs> it may not be fifty more years before we get there. But we're getting there. We're, we're the, the road is there. But you know what? What wasn't there was was no new hardware, right? There was no new right. Yeah, significant sure. announcements of new hardware. They they were they right. doubled down on Xbox and on Hololens, but nothing new, right? I think the Xbox announcement was they they used it for two things. They used it to show off the Win32 bridge to Universal Windows platform because they I don't want to say they showed it off on Xbox, but by having Phil Spencer come out and talk about like, oh look, we just took Age of Empires, we just lifted it and brought it over to UWP, like that that was okay, cool. And then, oh yeah, and by the way, here's here's dev mode for you for you folks that want to get in on building Xbox One apps when we open that up. But for one thing, we don't know where Windows 10 on the phone is going. Um, I think that Microsoft's now positioned surface book and surface pro those devices as having their own events i think they seem to have established that pattern that when we're ready to talk about those we're going to have our own event and i wonder if they are planning to give phone one more try if that's the bundle where they say okay surface book let's just pretend there's a surface book 2 event later this year let's just say that were to happen or maybe it's a surface 5 event i don't know is that where they also come out with Surface Phone or whatever? Like, is, do they kind of say like that's not a build thing anymore? We do those things at some other event, usually, usually like in New York City or something, or headlined by by the Panos, who I thought was pretty good when he kind of cleverly walked over to the Surface Book, was like, oh, by the way, and rips the <laughs> screen <laughs> off of it. I mean, and, and they sold right. I mean, Surface Book is a viable platform. It, it's something that people wanted. It the was phone- that answer to. Um, Oh, I want to be a solid Windows developer. I'd better go get a MacBook Pro. Like yes. that was common. Yeah. And Surface Book for a lot of developers was the answer they were looking for because maybe they felt a little dirty about doing that. I don't know. You know, what was interesting is that there was a lot of good breakout on TypeScript, C Sharp 7, ASP.NET, .NET Core, but it didn't make it into the keynotes yeah. all that yeah, much. Yeah, it really didn't. I mean, that, that, that that's that's probably the takeaway, right? Is Build is more than just the keynotes, right? There's hundreds of sessions, and they're all free, right? I mean, think about it. There used to be a time when you had to, you either had to be there to see the, see the content, yep, yeah, or you had to right. wait six months, yeah. or they used to send a DVD around. You used to have to wait for the DVD yeah. to pay for it. It was pretty much there. Like I remember, like they were showing certain sessions right on channel9.com yep. live, and it's just like right. you 
that's another part of this whole community. I don't have to physically travel there to, to experience the content. Yep. And so, yeah, there, I think from a day-to-day -day practical sense, the breakout sessions are really where you're, the stuff you're going to use today or in the near future. Like Anders Heilsberg talking about TypeScript. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think that's a show. And you, listener, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of, of what came out of Build? Are you excited? Uh, does this change anything for you at all today or tomorrow or next year or whatever? We'd love to know. Please leave a comment on the website, staticvoidpodcast.com, or send an email to comments at staticvoidpodcast.com. And as always, if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, please feel free to let us know through those same channels. We want to make sure that we're talking about the things that you actually want to hear about. Uh, Todd, Chris, thanks for the chat. Yep, awesome. Absolutely. And thank you, listener, for spending the time with us. We hope that you enjoyed it, and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Static Void Podcast. Oh, yes, I should stop recording.